In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you. Thank you for this last 20 days as we have received insight and revelation and the grace to pray like we've never done before. And we're thanking you, O Lord, for all the things that you've already done, prayers answered, testimonies shared, and the many that are coming, Heavenly Father. We give you all the praise. And thank you for this series on spiritual warfare. Uh, we believe, Father, it's positioning us for what you want to do in our lives, with us in our families, with us in this city, with us in this nation. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Well, this is part three of our series on spiritual warfare. You know, if there's one thing that the enemy would love, it is for a Christian not to realize that they are in a war. Um, from cradle to the grave, we are in a war. It might not seem obvious to our natural senses, and this, the, the enemy would love us to rely on those natural senses and not know that we are in a war. Um, and I want you to understand that that is the case. We are fighting, as you will find out, a vicious, evil, wicked enemy and the army that he has under his control. And it's interesting talking about mentoring. Um, one of Paul's mentees uh, was Timothy. And a lot of the advice that Paul gave T Timothy is the kind of advice that you would get from a mentor. And he says to Timothy, in uh, 2 Timothy, the second chapter and the fourth verse, he says to Timothy, in this, uh, with regards to this war, he says to him, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Uh, the New Living Translation would say, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Now, those, that statement makes it clear, takes it for granted, that Timothy understands that he is in warfare that Timothy understands that he's a soldier. He was speaking to Timothy. He could easily, be, and not could easily, he is actually speaking to you and I. That first, we just have to understand that we are soldiers. We are in a war. This is warfare. And he says to Timothy, he says, no soldier who knows what he's doing, no one engaged in this warfare, gets tied up or entangled in civilian matters. 
Now, it's not that he says no one in this warfare engages with civilian matters. It is impossible to not engage in civilian matters. Um, even if you're a soldier and you're in the theater of war, you probably will have a home. You, you, know, the, you probably have a bank account. You might, you might have children in school and you have to pay their school fees. Life kind of continues. These are civilian matters. But what he says is that no soldier or no one in this war gets entangled or tied up in these civilian matters, which means that we understand our priorities. We understand that we can't have our focus entirely on these civilian matters. That's the way he puts it, that we cannot be driven by these civilian matters, that at all times we must know that we are soldiers and we are in a battle. So even though I'm going to Halifax to pay in a check, I'm going out for a meal with a friend, I'm going to the gym to exercise, um, I'm, I'm, I'm Esther's 18.30 and we're having a brunch on Saturday, it doesn't matter what I am doing. I know that this, I'm doing all these things because life goes on. I'm meeting friends, I'm building relationships, I'm forging ahead in my career, I'm, I'm trying to get my business to work, but it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I know that there is a war going on and I am enlisted in an army. I am a soldier. Can someone say amen to that? Because the enemy would love us not to. Because he loves ignorance. Because ignorance is darkness. But when the light of Jesus comes in, the word of God comes in, the darkness of ignorance must recede. Amen? That's why we, they say knowledge is power. Yeah? And the right knowledge is what gives the power that overcomes. Amen? And it's, it's, if there was anyone who really understood this whole thing about spiritual warfare, it was Timothy's mentor, Paul. And all the teaching that gives us, that explains it to us, most of them came from Paul. He understood that we are fighting a war. He says in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and this is where we were going for the sermon today, Ephesians, the sixth chapter, from verse 10 to 18. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The truth is that you will find many in the body of Christ 
who have no clue what this means, and some who do, who think it's actually just theology, without understanding that the basis for achieving God's plans and purposes is an understanding of what Paul said in those scriptures. The Passion Translation helps us. And so I wanted to read the Passion Passion Translation to you. Same scripture. Now, my beloved ones, I have saved these most important truths for last. Amen? He's addressing his beloved ones, the church at Ephesus. He cared for them. He wanted them to be victorious in life. He wanted to empower them to come out on the winning side. He wanted to make sure that they fulfilled God's plans and purposes. They were beloved to him. He says, I have saved these most important truths for last. Paul says, what I'm about to tell you that I saved for the last are most important truths. What is Paul saying? They are foundational. If you don't get it, you can't go further. And then he goes on to say, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Amen? He says, be supernaturally infused with strength through your life life union with the Lord Jesus. What is Paul saying with all those things? What Paul is saying is very simple. What I'm about to share with you that will give you victory can only come because of your life union with Christ and the power that that life union releases into your life. To put it another way, it is impossible to win this war. And the truth, we are not fighting to win We are fighting to establish a victory that has already been won at the cross of Calvary. And the victory at the cross of Calvary is a privilege that children of God have. Because I am a child of God, I can appropriate the victory at the cross into my life. It is not a privilege that is given to the whole world. It is a privilege that those who have a life union with Christ have. And the privilege is that The power that is available from what happened at Calvary is available to you and I. It operates in us and through us. Amen? So Paul was saying, this victory you want to establish can only come by the power of God. By those who have the power of God. We cannot fight this enemy. We cannot fight his army in our own strength. Like I say all the time, there's nothing you're presenting to him that he hasn't seen. He has dealt with those who are stronger than you in a physical sense, stronger than you in a material sense. He has, he has dealt with those who, who thought they had it all together better than you. He has brought them down. His CV is frightening if you did not have this power. He has caused wars. He has brought down nations. He has destroyed families. 
He has broken marriages. He has destroyed men of God and their, and their, and their ministries. He has scattered churches. He has caused so much mayhem, havoc. He has started industries from scratch that help his ministry to kill, steal, and destroy. It is impossible to face him without the power of God. So Paul started by saying, you have to understand that you have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He calls it the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Can someone say amen to that? And there's a prayer he prays that really is my heart, my heart for you as, as, as people who I care for. It's a prayer that I pray for you and I even prayed for you now. In Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 17 to 21, he says, For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, I'm reading the Amplified Classic because it just amplifies it and helps me bring, that, bring it home. For I always pray to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may grant you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Amen. He says, this is my prayer. And I pray that for you. That our God, your father, my father, will grant you by the spirit of wisdom and revelation an insight into mysteries and secrets in the deep and intimate knowledge of him. Saying that, I pray that God will open up your mind and show you dimensions of himself. Things that would remain a mystery to the natural mind, but the Spirit of God can reveal it to you so that you come to a new and deeper understanding of him, our Heavenly Father, his Son Jesus, and the Spirit of God. I pray that for you. He says that will happen by having your, the eyes of your heart flooded with light so that you can know and understand a couple of things, some things. Number one, the hope to which he has called you. I wasn't going there today. Number two, how rich is his glorious inheritance in the saints he set apart once. He says, I, I pray that God will give you revelation, understanding of the hope to which he has called you. You'll understand why, why he died for you on the cross and called you into his kingdom. You'll understand what he has for you to do in his kingdom. But that's not where we were going. You'll understand the glorious riches of his inheritance. The Bible says we are joint heirs with, with Christ. It's a mind-blowing statement. Because we somehow think of Christ so far away from us. But the privilege of grace is that Christ elevates you in terms of inheritance to himself. Whatever Christ got from the Father, you and I have got from the Father. Paul says, but I need a spirit of wisdom and revelation to explain it to you. Even your amen tells me you don't understand your inheritance. Because you know, if I said to you guys now that... We just got news. Your uncle died. Very old. 
You didn't know your uncle was so rich? You say, no. I said, we, they just sent, sent us his will. He left you, and I want your reaction to be what it will be. He left you a hundred million pounds. See? Your reaction is different from the inheritance in Christ. Because all of you are smiling now. When I said, when I spoke about the glorious riches of your inheritance in Christ, three people smiled. And you know why? Because the enemy has made sure we are ignorant of who we are in Christ. So a hundred million pounds, we understand. Inheritance in Christ. Theology. And then he goes on, the third thing, which is where I was going. And so that you can know and understand what is the immeasurable and unlimited and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us who believe. And you know, if he had used one word, not three superlatives, we would have even tried to understand. But Paul knew that he's working with human beings who are limited by their minds. And he's trying to get them to understand something that is going to totally transform their lives. So he has to try with words, and Paul was good with words, try and drive home a truth. He says, I pray that you will understand the power that is working in you and through you. He says the power is immeasurable. Now, you know, human minds, we don't function like that. Immeasurable is a concept we don't understand. Because for us to grasp something, you have to benchmark it against something. You give us an example. So, PI, what is immeasurable? If I give you an example, then I would have measured it. Immeasurable means there's no measure. So whatever you think is powerful, whatever you think is powerful, break down the boundary where it stops and enter immeasurable. He says it's not just immeasurable. He says it is unlimited. You know, we don't understand unlimited. What do you mean unlimited? Everything that we can think of has a limit. It can be trillions. We can move from trillions to zillions. But how many know that Z is the end? How many know you don't have anything after Z? So our minds, most of our minds can comprehend thousands. Not talking about millions. Trillions. Zillions. Most of us, what is zillions? Okay, how many zeros is in zillions? How, anybody, how many? How many zeros in zillions? We don't even know. You know, you know why? It's too far. Someone is saying, I don't need zillions, God. Just give me thousands, tens of thousands. That's where most, most of us are. And then some people who are, who are ambitious and have faith and are believing are saying, God, give me millions. Some two or three here are saying, God, give me billions. But there's nobody here who has ever prayed, God, give me zillions. Because our minds stop. So Paul says, this power that God has put at your disposal he says it's unlimited. It has no limits. And then he goes on to use another superlative. What is he trying to do? He's trying to smash the limitations of ignorance. To say, don't you know who you are? 
He says it is power that is surpassing. What is surpassing? Surpassing is when you get to wherever you get. It's above that. He says that's the power that you have. Now because he knows how human minds work, he goes on to actually give us an example. Because he knows our minds can't comprehend things if we can't have an example of it. He goes on to say, demonstrated, shown practically, put on display, given as an example for you to know. He says, demonstrated in the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in the world, but also in the age and the world which was to come. Oh my God. You know what Paul said? Paul said, this power that is yours. 17-year-old Christian, gave your life. The power is available to you. 82-year-old grandmother gave your life. The power is available to you. Paul said, this power that is available to you, in you and works, works through you. You know, power can lie dormant, not used. It's still there, but it's just not used. It has potential, but the potential has not been realized. That is how the body of Christ is. Paul says this power is unlimited. It is immeasurable. It is surpassing. He says, don't you get it? I guess they were looking at him, totally confused. He says, it is the same power, the same, not two different powers, the same power that went to the place of the dead when the enemy thought he had won because he had killed Jesus on a cross. That power that is in you, the same one, not a different one, not, 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 a, not, not an offshoot of the power, the same power that is in you is the power that went into the place of the dead, got, got Jesus up from the place of the dead. A man that they had seen crucified had been brought back to life. Is the power of resurrection that is in you. It took Jesus, brought him back to life, you know what that power did? The body had started to obey the laws of nature and started to decompose. The power was such that it reversed the process of decomposition because God had to fulfill something. The power didn't just bring him back to life. That would have been awesome enough. The power propelled him to the pits of hell where he engaged Satan and wrested authority and control back from Satan. And then the power brought him back to earth. That would have been enough. Next thing, the power took him physically. People were watching as the power took him physically and sat him down beside Jesus Christ. He says, that same power is available to you. Not a counterfeit. Not a second. There are no two Holy Spirits. There's no Holy Spirit for Jesus and Holy Spirit for the followers of Jesus. It is the same Holy Spirit. The problem is that we don't know who we are. When we think of power, we're we are in awe. When a, when a Boeing 747 
takes off carrying 345 human beings. And all the law of gravity is trying to pull down tons of metal to obey a law, a natural law. But because of the force and the power in the engines of the plane, it carries the tons of metal and the weight of 345 people and it defies the law of gravity. That is no power compared to the power that is available in you and I. And you know, his disciples were like us. That's why the Bible was written. The words that were spoken to them were spoken to us. He calls 70 of them and he says, go out and do ministry. And what was to do ministry? To preach, to teach, to cast out demons, devils, walk over the kingdom of darkness. He says to them, go out and do ministry. The 70 went. They had been taught. Like Jesus' house, they'd been told they had power. But they received it here. It didn't get into their hearts. So when they go out, they do ministry. They preach, they teach, and they engage in this warfare that we are in, the kingdom of darkness. Listen to their response to what happened. Luke 10, I'll just read because of time, verses 17 and 19. When the 70 missionaries returned to Jesus, they were ecstatic with joy, telling him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we commanded them in your, in your name. It tells you that they didn't really think it was going to happen. It tells you that they received it as a theological teaching. When Jesus must have said to, said to them, I, you have authority in my name. So when they went out and engaged these wicked forces, these bodiless persons, these spirits that are advanced in the kingdom of darkness, when they spoke in the name of Jesus, they were shocked. They said, I rebuke you. Come out. The demons came out. They said, stop. The demons stopped. They said, release her. The demons released her. They said, don't torment him again. The demons obeyed. The Bible says they came back ecstatic with joy. That why we, we have power. And so they went to Jesus and they told him that it's unbelievable. It worked. So Jesus said to them, now you understand. Oh God, may we understand. He says, now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. And he says, and by the way, part of the power that protects you is absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. He says, now you get it. Now you understand. That's what I've been telling you. That's who you are. That's the authority you have. That's the power at work in you and through you. Now you get it. And may we get it now in Jesus' house. I wish we understood this power. I really wish. That's why that prayer is so important. Frankly, you should be praying it every day. God, let the spirit of wisdom and revelation give me an understanding of this power. Let me know who I am. You know, disciples were following Jesus in ministry. And one day he just turns around and says to them, by the way, who, 
who do, who do people think I am? They say, well, there's confusion out there. Some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. You know, some think you're one of the prophets. He says, okay, who do you think I am? Forget what other people think. That's not your business. You, that you have been following me around for so long. Who do you think I am? Now, out of the 12, I don't know what state of confusion they were in, whether they didn't know. Peter was the only one who spoke up. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at him, my God, that revelation of who I am. Isn't that what Paul was praying for the church? That they would know him. The mystery of who he is would be revealed to them. You see, Jesus is like an onion. You can keep peeling layer after layer. The power is commensurate to where you are in the peeling of the onion. So some people, do you know, some people, when they say good morning to you, (laughs) it is not a greeting, please. It is a prophetic declaration that everything in heaven and earth must line up on sin and sin to make the morning good. That's why to be told good morning by some people is fantastic. When some people tell you good morning, their own morning is bad. They are telling you good morning. They cannot even make their morning good. So it is just a common greeting. There are some people, when they speak, it is always a prayer. When they speak, the angels who are used to hearing their voice and angels walk on instructions. Hebrews 1.14 There are ministering spirits for you and I. We tell angels what to do. There are some people's voices. The angels are used to receiving instructions. So they cannot say something like, I will kill you. The angels say, oh, you want him dead? They've killed the person. They say, oh, the person had uh, something in the head and, and died. No, no, no. The angels killed the person. Somebody just declared it. You think it's not true? They were calling El- Elisha a crazy bald head. So some children just playing, you know, look at this crazy bald-headed man. One of the few times Elisha lost his cool. Just... Threw a, threw, a, threw, a, threw a few words at them. Guess what happened? A bear that was sleeping on its own, not troubling anybody. Once Elisha released those words, the bear got up, chased those people, and killed them. Power. Power. There's power and there's power. Some people arrive in a place, the kingdom of darkness leaves. When Lester Sumrall arrived in a city where all the pastors, 200 and something of them, had been praying against the demonic blackness in the city. Praying. 200 and and something pastors praying. Nothing. The, The black cloud didn't shift. The next day after he arrived, unknown to them, they got together to pray. As they prayed, there were open heavens. All the demonic angels that had been floating around the city had disappeared. So one of the pastors said to God, ah, thank you for answering our prayers. That, that prayer worked. The pastor said, no, no, it wasn't you guys. My son, Lester, flew into town last night. Lester Sumner didn't know that this was happening. He just came with the authority that he come, come, came with, with the people who were following him, unseen, bodiless persons following him from God's side. When he arrived, the bodiless persons on the other side said, ah, is, how long is he ministering here? Five days. Let us go. Let him finish ministering and go. Then we come back. May God give you power. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. 
Jesus said, it's possible for flesh and blood to have revealed that to you. That level of a revelation of who I am, it wasn't in the words. It was in the heart that spoke the words. Because you and I can say, you're Christ, the son of the living God. God is looking at our heart and saying, you don't really know what that means. And then listen to what God said, Jesus said to him. He said, and this truth of who I am will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. What does he say? He says, with what you know, ah, I can now build you as a vice regent on my behalf, to rule on my behalf. I can now build you with what you know, the revelation you have, so that you can speak as an oracle of God, so that you can speak as my legislative assembly. You can pass laws and decrees on my behalf on earth because of the revelation that you have. And then he goes on to say, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom so that whatsoever you declare unlawful on earth, heaven backs it. That is power. Can someone say amen? amen? May God supernaturally reveal himself to you. Amen. Paul says that's the power we stand in as we engage the enemy. So there's no fear whatsoever. No fear. We don't even fight for victory. This thing is rigged in our favor. Somebody else has already done the fighting. We fight to establish the victory that has been won at the cross of Calvary. That's why Jesus says, trample on the kingdom of the enemy. I give you the authority to do so. Can someone say amen? amen. And then he goes on to say, the reason is that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the deceit, the strategy of the enemy. You know, when you have superior power to someone, how many know that? The person will be daft to engage you in a frontal battle. You will just crush them. It's like Burkina Faso, an African country in case you don't know. Waking up and deciding that the government of Burkina Faso were going to go into the American embassy Kidnap the ambassador, kidnap everybody. How many know that Burkina Faso will understand that America is America? They, they won't even move much. Just three battle carriers, some Tomahawk missiles. They will send a drone that will follow the president where he's peeing. That's where they are going to blow him up. They will send soldiers who are machines. They arrive at night. The guy from Burkina Faso is trying to see in the dark. Who, who is that? They wear night vision goggles. Night is like day. They arrive like ghosts. They are trained with the best. By the time they finish, it will be Faso Burkina, not Burkina Faso. <laughs> so, of course... Nobody in that country is going to take on America in a, in a frontal way. That's madness. It's the same with Satan. He knows the power we have. He hopes you don't know. 
And he doesn't take you on in a frontal way. That's why the Bible says, wiles, deceits, tricks, deception, strategies. So Paul says, if you don't have this power, you can't face his strategies. He says, the reason for, because he wrestles with us. He's in hand-to-hand combat with us. When I talk about war, some people think an enemy that is far away. No. He gets into your head. He speaks to your mind. He tells you lies. He tries to affect your, your esteem and confidence in who you are and who Christ made you. He makes you thrive on likes on social media. So when you don't get enough likes, your day is spoiled. Mm. He makes you look at all those beautiful pictures on social media and then you look at your face and you think your face is like this. But all these people, are, they are so nice on social media. So you're depressed. He tells you lies to try and mess up your mind. He follows you home. He sits on your shoulders. When your wife says good morning, you say, what, what? He says, look at the way she said good morning. Did you see her teeth were like this? That means she doesn't like you. He whispers in your ear. He tells you when your boss says something, he says, see, see how he's treating you. He has no respect for you. You better talk back. So the Bible says it's hand-to-hand combat. He's not far. He's grappling with us. Paul says you cannot fight him in this hand-to-hand combat without the power of God and if you are not wearing the armor of God. He says because we are fighting an unseen army of wickedness, hosts. You know what host is? Host is one. Hosts is many. Hosts of spiritual wickedness, principalities, powers. Some of you don't know. The things that your ancestors did. When they told me what my ancestors did, I said, Lord of mercy. These people want to complicate my life. They told me one one of our ancestors, they say he would go to battle. He was fierce. Fierce. When he kills in battle, he brings the heads of the people back to my village and drinks palm wine from the heads. I say, oh, Lord of mercy. No wonder I'm fighting now, fighting, fighting, fighting. Look at this character. If I catch him, it's just that, I don't know, he's probably gone to hell, so I'm not going to see him. If I get him. So you can be doing sophisticated. You know, I'm just in, I'm in England, you know. I'm, I'm, yeah. Where do you work? Oh, I work in the city. Where do you work in the city? Oh, I work in Goldman Sachs. Oh, yeah, you work in Goldman Sachs? Yeah. Um, where can we meet? Why don't we have a Starbucks? You know, I like a latte. What do you like? Latte, what do you like? Oh, boom, mom has created problems for you. You're doing latte. What did you like? Don't go and deal with him. Don't deal with him. Just don't deal with him. Don't, don't deal with the problems he has caused for you. So you can become so sophisticated, as some of us are. You know, I, I, I go to school at Imperial College. Let's meet up at Costa. You know, and let's, let's discuss the course work at Costa. Costa. There are many in Costa, bodiless persons. Let's, let's go to Westfield. Oh, Westfield. All over the place, bodiless persons. Every shop, bodiless persons. All looking for who they'll destroy. 
You can pretend to be ignorant, an ostrich with his head in the sand. You say that, you say that, that my wife, she, 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 she's always, always abusive. They're abusive because of the people who are either in her or on her shoulders. You can't see them. When you talk, they twist what you said. By the time she hears it, what she's hearing is not what you said. Because the bodiless persons have twisted it. If you think your wife is the problem, you don't understand spiritual warfare. It is the spirits that are behind. That's why the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So Paul says, Paul says, if you understand this, if you know this is the, this is the situation, everybody in your family is angry. Angry, 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 angry. Uncle, ah, uncle can kill. Auntie, ah, auntie spits fire. And I'm saying the uncle and the auntie, how Africa say it. And they say the brother, ah, that one, if he gets a cutlass, he will kill you. So the whole family. I mean, would you wake up and smell the coffee? And know that these are bodiless persons that are causing this problem. So Paul says, if you understand that, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day. He says, evil times come, it's part of life. And you can't fight this battle Without the whole armor of God. Can someone say amen to that? And so what is this armor that Paul says we must put on? What is this armor? You see, a normal soldier wears combat fatigues and armor while he's at war. When war is over, he can revert to normal, chilling. So... Put up a picture of a normal. Put up a picture of a normal soldier. I mean, normal guy just chilling. Yeah, just normal guy on his way to Starbucks for a latte. Just normal guy. Could be like any one of you. Normal. You know, just regular guy. Cool. Just wants to get a good job, pay a mortgage, find a nice wife in Jesus' house. You know, marry in uh, Acapulco and then go to the honeymoon in Bora Bora <laughs> and then invite his friends to Chikituki restaurant in Chelsea you know normal you know kind of just go to Jesus house where do you go to church? Jesus house it's a nice church, great church the pastor's a great guy you know he kind of makes us laugh he's, he's quite a communicator the pastor <laughs> You know, they say, how was, how was service on Sunday? It was really spiritually uplifting. Um, what, did he, what did he preach? Well, you know, he has a way of kind of getting us to feel like we can, t we can go for the week, you know. And then I go back every week and I kind of feel like I can go for the week. What did he preach? Well, he was talking about some fighting that's going on somewhere. This, yeah, this is life. Anyway, how about catching up for lunch? There's a new restaurant that I know. Do you like sushi? Oh, my God, I like sushi. You know, you know I, I love sushi. It's a great sushi place. Let's go. Look at the foolish human being. A war. That's what you're fighting. A war. A war. So a normal soldier can be like, like this, but then flip to when he's at war. Flip to when he's dressed in all his combat fatigues. He's a different person. He's dressed in his combat fatigues. But how many know that this is because he's in the war front? 
How many know that when he comes out of the war front, he doesn't walk, does he walk around the street like this? Exactly. But you cannot take off your armor. There is no leave in this war. You don't have a downtime. Your enemies are working 24-7. We sleep with the armor. We sleep with it. With the helmet on, that's how I sleep. If I take that helmet off, I will not be here to preach today. Our war is 24-7. You can't go to the gym and think, think because I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in the gym now, the 24-hour gym, so the war is over while I exercise. No, they are waiting for you. Next to you might be one of the other soldiers. She, she looks okay, but she's not okay. And she, you know she's not okay until you find yourself where you shouldn't find yourself. You guys that are laughing at me, you know what I mean. So the war is 24-7, that's what I'm saying. You don't have an off day. And that's why Paul says, put on the whole armor. You can't fight the war without the armor. Now, what is the armor? Six parts of the armor. And let's run through this very quickly. Number one, he says, there is a belt. He calls it the belt of truth. And this is significant because it holds the whole armor in place. What does he mean by the belt of truth? Two things. Number one, the truth of God's word that stands against the lies of the enemy. You cannot fight this battle if you're not reading the Bible. They will make you shish kebab. So, the truth of God's word. What is the enemy called? The father of lies. What is his tool in trade? Lies. How do I counter the lies? By tightening the belt of truth of God's word around my waist. But secondly, it's also truth in terms of a life of honesty and integrity. You know, religion is a terrible thing. Ah, terrible thing. It is religion that makes someone think that they can live a life of sin. Deliberate, premeditated life of sin. And come to church and it's okay. Religion. The Bible don't get condemned. The Bible makes provision for those who fall in sin. Fall means that I was going. Then I didn't see what was in my way. I tripped and I fell. It was not intentional. Fall is not that I sat down at home, chose a route that has obstacles, and planned how I must make sure I trip on the obstacle and fall. That's premeditation. So it is only religion that allows this craziness. Where somebody is with Mark the night before. Mark is married. She knows Mark is married. But you know, Mark has told her, my marriage is collapsing. And the truth is that it's you that I love. Goes to Jesus' house. But is in a relationship with Mark. Left Mark at 7 p.m. Because Mark said, I have, to go, I have to go home to wifey. Says, okay, so am I seeing you on Sunday? Mark said, yeah, I'll pick you up after church. What time does that your pastor finish preaching? <laughs> Say, sometimes the man overruns. He might finish around, around 2. Okay, so just hang around. Go to your cafe. I'll pick you up at 2.30. And she came to church. This, this, this is madness of religion and how people kill themselves in this war. Then they were singing, holy are you, Lord. She just lifted her hands, holy are you. 
They are looking at you thinking, we are going to wreck your life. Religion. Religion is what makes a, a liar compartmentalize. So that to allow the person to continue lying, they've now color-coded color lies. Blue, white, black. I, don't ask me the, what the colors mean. They say this one's a blue lie. I say, what is a blue lie? Integrity and honesty. Your yea is yea, your nay is nay. Your yes is yes, your no is no. Even if you have to suffer as a result, that's the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. This covers your vital organs. It guards your heart. And we understand from Proverbs 4 verse 23 that if you don't guard your heart, you are in trouble because out of it flow the issues of life. For as one translation says, it determines the cause of your life. So you can't go into this war without righteousness. But then it's a righteousness that you and I cannot get. Nobody is right enough. Nobody. I remember the first times I tried to minister to my sister Chizo. My brother and I had a terrible life. Terrible. Terrible. There's nothing we do not do. Women, I mean, women was bad. Bad. My friends who were bad took off their heart to me that you are bad. Drinking, just name it. So when I gave my life to Christ and I, my, my initial attempt to speak to Chizo, she couldn't get it. Like, look, Agu, I've been a Christian. I've been going to church all my life. Our mother took us to St. Saviour's all our life. She said, you need this thing that happened to you because I don't know where you would have ended up. She said, but I, what, do, what, what am I supposed to do with myself? She never did any of these bad things. Never, never did anything bad. But you married a good woman, just collected her. No, she was good. But then she came to understand that the Bible says all our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Romans 3 verse 10 says, no one, no one. Everybody say with me, no one. No one measures up to righteousness. So when God looked at it, God said, this accuser, that's all he does, full time, accusing. If I don't help them in this war, the accuser will bring an accusation that I will have to deal with because I'm a just and fair God. Oh God, please, hear me. This is grace. So Jesus said, you know what? Let me pay the price for them so I can give them the breastplate. So they don't have to try to be righteous. They should just put on my own righteousness. That's why the Bible says it is imputed righteousness. All you have to do is, you know, if you put your hands down, it's difficult to put clothes on you. That's why they say to children, lift your hands. That's all you have to do. Just lift your hands metaphorically. Just, just make it easy for them to put the clothes of righteousness on you. Can someone say amen? That's why nobody measures up to it. Nobody can earn it. Now, when I go into battle and the accuser wants to say, uh -uh, Agu, you remember Philomena? <laughs> I remember one day, one day, one day the, the devil said that to me. You're preaching? Do you, know, do you know how many abortions you were involved in? 
I said, no. He counted for me. I said, there were that many. He said, the ones you didn't know have added, plus the ones you know. The ones you knew were six or seven. The ones you didn't know more. So you cannot come and fight me. I say, ah, I can't. But I'm wearing the breastplate of righteousness from Christ Jesus. Let me get hold of you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. So he can't accuse you. Number three. The shoes of the gospel of peace. What exactly is that in warfare? Peace in warfare. So I, I, I thought you were talking about war. Yes. What is the shoes of the gospel of peace? Isaiah 52 verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail. Gates don't move against you. You move against gates. Gates are not moving. They are static, waiting for you. So what is this gospel of peace? It is the readiness, one translation says, to always carry the good news of the gospel and forge ahead. How do we batter the enemy? By sharing the good news of the gospel. So in this warfare, part of our, our armor is that we are sharing, 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 sharing. We are moving. Readiness is, is on our feet. So we are walking and carrying the gospel. But then someone says to me, but I don't know how to share the gospel. I'm not an evangelist. I say, that's okay. That, God will give us that grace as we teach. But everybody can share the gospel. How does everybody share the gospel? By telling your story. Nobody knows your story more than you. Sometimes people say, what do I tell the, my colleague at work? Ah, tell them your story. And what is your story? All our stories is one, is one thing. I was blind, but now I see. That's your story. How many times have I told my story? At the last mandate meeting, with many people there who were not Christians, Muslims, all kinds of people, what did I do, guys, at the mandate meeting? I just told them my story. I gave them details so that they don't see me as a PAI here. I said, let me tell you where I'm coming from. By the time I finished sharing the, that story, when I, when I did an altar call, I did not open that Bible. I just shared my story and did an altar call. What was I saying to them? The power that has made me who I am on the way to where I'm going, that same power can reach you where you are. You don't have to be trapped in that pornography. The person does not need to know Christian or no Christian. They're saying that power that sets you free, can it release me from this pornography? You say yes, because that power sorted me out. They say, please, uh, where do you say that power is? I say, it's in Jesus. They say, can we find him? I say, yes, come and follow me. You have to, your story. So tell your story. That's what I say to people. Tell your story. Jesus healed a, a young boy in, in the temple. The boy was amazed because he had been blind for, for so long. Jesus healed him. The religious hierarchy said to the boy, what, what are you doing walking around? It's a Sabbath. Where are you going? Why are you carrying a bed? He said, one man told me to carry my bed and go, and I could see. They said, who's the man? They said, don't talk about that man. He said, okay. They went to call his parents. They said, do you know what happened to this boy? The parents said, ah, the boy is old enough. Ask him. The parents didn't want to get into trouble. These people, wicked people. So they asked the boy. So they asked the boy. The boy said, I've told you. Ah. I said, I met the man. I could not see. He's, he's, he, he, he did his work on me. I can now see. He said, don't you understand? I was blind and now I, and now I can see. Guess what he said to them? He said, or oh, do you two want to come and meet the man and follow the man? They, they wanted to beat the boy. What was the boy saying? 
you can take everything away, but you cannot take away my story. It wasn't you that was blind. It was me. I'm telling you that I am blind now, I see. Nobody can fault anybody for telling their story. So you have a story. The bottom line of the story is the gospel of peace and salvation delivered you. So part of the war is a readiness and a preparedness to share that story. Number four, the shield of faith. Every one of us actually starts out with a small shield. The shield grows to the extent where it is this size as a result of our walk with him. The more we trust, the more we lean on, the longer the shield gets, the stronger the shield gets. Am I making some sense? And it says the shield is to quench fiery darts. Extinguish fiery darts. The things he throws into your mind. The thoughts he throws. The way he attacks your mind. The way he attacks your life. The way he tells you you're a failure. And you say, no, 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 no. The shield of faith, my, my, the, my shield of faith tells me that I'm not a failure. I'm the beloved of God. You raise that thing up. So that fiery dart of failure hits the shield of faith and is extinguished. Nothing good is going to come out of your life. Have you never read the Bible? The shield of faith comes up, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. His thoughts and plans towards me. I raise it. Something good has to come up out of my life because that's what the word says. The shield of faith. That's how you're going to battle. If you don't have it, they are shooting fiery darts. The people closest to you will help them shoot some of the darts. Number five. The helmet of salvation. And this is the one I love. Before I go on to the last one. Because really, the battle is the battlefield of the mind. <laughs> the person sitting next to you, they might not look like they're in a war. That's because you can't plug something into their mind and see what is on their mind. This mind, battles of the mind. After the kind of life I lived, the battles I face in my head sometimes. Because of the kind of life I lived. You just be walking, you see a girl, then something will tell you, look at her. I say, no, I've made a covenant with my eyes. They say, look, what's wrong with you? So I'm just seeing what she's wearing. I say, I'm not looking. Then I'll steal a glance. Ah. I say, why do they dress like this in London? Ah, see, everything is exposed like it's meat at the market. What is going on here? By that time, I'm in trouble already. So guess what now? War starts in my head. I come to the office. They say, ah, pa Pastor Pierre, how are you? I say, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm not okay. <laughs> the girl is dancing in my head now. She's dancing in my head. When I sit down, they say, oh, we have strategy meeting. I sit there at the head of the table. Strategy. Where is Jesus' house going? She's dancing in my head. When I go home, my wife greets me, says hello to me, you know, hugs me, kisses me, all the welcome. The girl is still dancing in my head. I say, I'm in trouble. So it becomes a battle. Then the enemy now says to me, you preaching that church with this thing in your head, try it, let us see. So I say, I am the redeemed of the Lord. 
I was bought by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes my mind clean. What, what is that? My helmet of salvation. And you, 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 it might not be the woman dancing in your head or whatever it is. It might be just thoughts that just tell you persistently you are a failure. Look around you, see your mates. You have been trying, trying, trying. You have failed. A lot of the millennial generation, they need a tight helmet. Right, they buckle down, buckle, break, break, break down under any slightest pressure. Break down. Say somebody, uh, uh, what's that word when is, you stop being their friend on social media? What, on, what's the word? Unfriend. Eh? So, unfollowed. Somebody, somebody was, was traumatized. I said, why? She said, because my best friend has unfollowed me. I said, what does unfollowed mean? Are they following you around? I said, no, on social media. They've unfollowed me. I said, I said, so what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? They've unfollowed you. I said, tough for them. Don't you know who you are? They've lost out. They will benefit from your friendship. I don't have an idea who you are. You're not anybody. You're a princess. Your father is a king. You're the child of God. Don't you know who you are? You're wired and destined for greatness. Pour them for unfriending or unfollowing you. But if you can't fight that with the helmet of salvation, this is who I am. I'm, I'm not anybody. The value of a thing is determined by the price that was paid for it. What price was paid for me? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm valuable. I'm valuable. I'm so valuable that Jesus came and died for me. I'm not anybody. I'm valuable. I know who I am. Some of us sing that song, but we don't know who we are. Somebody said to me, racism. I said, me, Agwiruku, racism. Never. Racism. I'm sorry for the person who is shallow enough not to know who I am. You see, because I have a black skin. I say, poor you. You need me, like Job, who prayed for his friends. I, you, you better align with me so I can pray for you. If I pray for you, you'll be blessed. Poor you. You want to, you want to be racist towards me? Can't, it, it can't even work. You can't put me down. Me? No, I know who I am. If I come into your house, blessing follows me. You, you better call me to, into your house. The sooner you hang with me, it's better for you. Because the people who are following me, maybe they can consider protecting you too. I know who I am. Not arrogant, because I'm amazed at the grace that allows him to welcome me into his home and call me his son. You're not an orphan. You might be naturally, but spiritually you're not an orphan. You're not desolate. You know, I, I meet people who are, were born out of wedlock and they have this thing that follows them for life. Trying to make a point. Make a point. What's the point? You're destined. No child is a mistake. The parents might make, make, make a mistake. That's for the parents. But God works that mistake into his plans. You can't be born to find what to do. No, you're born because there's something for you to do. If you haven't discovered it, that's another thing. But you were not born to start to look for what to do. No. You're a child of destiny. You're not a statistic. You're a child of the king. Look at the way the Bible puts it. Romans 8 verse 16. 
For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. So when the enemy comes with his lie, I hear the loud whisper of the Holy Spirit, you are God's beloved child. Hallelujah. You know, I walk the streets of London and it's not arrogance. I'm, I've learned not to be arrogant. It's just the truth. And sometimes I'm amused because I say, you know, you people don't understand. <laughs> Part of what I'm here to do is to pray for God's spirit to come here. Things will be better. If you understood, you'll be thanking me. But it's okay. You don't have to thank me. It's the work of God. I know who I am. Can't come and put me down. Married to one man, every time he's trying to psychologically abuse you. And now you say you're psychologically abused. If you had a barrier as to who you are, he's abusing himself. Because you know who you are. You know, I'm not a doormat. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Huh? You think Harry doesn't know who he is? Forget all this stuff that's going on. Oh. They've taken HRH from him. They've taken the whatever Sussex emblem from him. You think, you think he still doesn't know who he is? Okay. When he lands London, follow him through the immigration queue and see if you and him will go the same way. Since you think both of you are now on the same level because he used to be HRH, now he's Mr. You two are Mr. or Mrs. So you think we're on the same level. Follow him. You will find out that he might not have title anymore, but he's still the grandson of the Queen of England. Amen? So I don't need any title. I know in the primary world who I am. The Spirit of God is whispering to me all the time. As the enemy is trying to batter me, my helmet is on. The Spirit of God is saying, you are the beloved of the Lord. I don't have any money. I'm the beloved of the Lord. I'm not yet married. I'm the beloved of the Lord. I'm still holding on. I'm the beloved of the Lord. My circumstances cannot change my identity. That Harry is having issues does not change who he is. Those royal courtiers have done all they can do. They've taken a charge. You, do, you think, do you think Her Majesty the Queen is going to allow anything to happen to her grandchild? Absolutely not. One day she'll tell them, it's enough. Please, this is my grandchild. That's, we have a father. And lastly, and this is where we'll pick up next week. There are six parts of the armor. Five of them are defensive weapons. There's only one offensive weapon. If you fight this fight and you don't know how to be a skilled swordsman, the enemy will get you. There's only a limit to how much you can defend. They say attack is the best form of defense. And as I end, it's instructive that the armor has no part to cover the back. That's very instructive. What does that tell me? In this battle, you cannot turn your back on the enemy because there's nothing to protect you behind. This is an interesting battle. It's like David and Goliath. The Bible says David picked up his sling, that small boy, and he ran towards Goliath. That's how we fight this battle. You are constantly pressing in constantly attacking. There's no retreat. There's no surrender. Somebody say with me, no retreat. No, retreat. no, surrender. no surrender. None. None. 
until we go to heaven when we have finished our assignment. Hallelujah. Give God a clap offering. Go on. Hallelujah. You're clapping for the word of God, not for a man. The word of God. You're celebrating the word of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We glorify your name. We exalt you. There might be someone here who's never enlisted in this army. You don't have the power we spoke about. It's a privilege that is reserved for his children. But then he's such a gracious father, he's always calling more and more people into his family. His family is expanding in some parts of the world rapidly. In China, his family is growing. But here in London at Jesus' house, and maybe you're watching online, you're not certain that you are part of this family. You can't say with certainty, this is my father. You've never heard the Holy Spirit whisper, you are the beloved, the beloved child of God. You haven't accepted his son as Lord and Savior. You're online or you're here in this auditorium. If you would slip your hand up, I'd just love to pray a simple prayer with you. And with that simple prayer, you're a part of the family. You're guaranteed that he will stand with you. Anybody saying, please pray for me. I want to settle this that I am a part of this family. Slip your hand up wherever you are. You want to give your life to Jesus. All heads bowed, please. All heads bowed. Slip your hand up wherever you are. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to accept him as Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Slip your hand up. You're welcome into this family. Slip your hand up. Anybody else? Anybody slip your hand up? Thank you, Jesus. Slip it high. Slip it high. Anybody? Wherever you are. Thank you, Lord. And if I see that hand up front. Anybody else? I need ushers moving around. Up front, up front. Ushers, ushers, ushers. Anybody else? Slip it up. Anybody else? Slip it up, slip it up. I see that hand at the back as well. Anybody else? Go on. All heads bowed, please. We don't want to embarrass anybody. You want to join this family, enlist in this army. You want him to fight for you. You want to please the one who has enlisted you. You really want him to be in your corner in this battle of life. Anybody else? Go on, slip it up, slip it up, slip it up, slip it up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, um, whilst your heads are bowed, I would just like you to just thank God that you are already enlisted in this army. And those of you who have your hand up, slip it up. I'm going to get a member of our team to just come alongside you. Go on, keep it high, keep it high, keep it high. A member of our team to come alongside you. All the way to the back, some member of the team to the back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else? You haven't got a member of our team by you? And if, if you would just go with a member of our team into our hospitality room. Anybody else? If you're online, just follow the instructions on the screen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we bless you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go on once more, celebrate God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Amen.